Hello everyone and welcome to a new edition of Thinking Aloud About Film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And today we're going to be talking about Prisoners of the Earth, Prisioneros de la Tierra, an Argentine film from 1939, set in 1915, and part of the Martin Scorsese Restoration Project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Richard? So it's a film that was restored, funded by the Film Foundation, as have quite a few of the films we've been watching on movie, but it was showing online as part of the Film Foundation Screening Room initiative, which once a month or so makes one of their restorations available online worldwide for free, but only for a couple of days, supported by introductions by Scorsese and essays and, and video interviews and that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a really nice initiative. This has been running for about a year and I've, this is only the second one I've managed to see because because they're only there for two days. So. Yeah, yeah. I found that a revelation. I mean, what did you think? As with a lot of the world cinema restorations, it was a, a film I'd never heard of, a filmmaker I'd never heard of. It's clearly viewed as one of the greatest Argentine films in, in Argentina and was clearly a very key film in the development of Argentine cinema. It was often voted the best film in the history of Argentine cinema, and one can understand why that might be so. What struck me most about watching the film is how it connects with current concerns about indigenous people, about uh, environmental issues, about colonialism in a way that's very vivid, very moving. Yeah, this combination of melodrama, but also a film that attempts to show conditions as they were. So there's a little bit of, I wouldn't say neorealism, but there's an attempt at conveying a context realistically, but in this very melodramatic, very pleasurably melodramatic uh, vein. So I found that surprising and also a film that many of my colleagues who teach film would find a very interesting film to put on their syllabus because it's a prism through which so many of these issues can also be explored. And it also reminded me of quite a few of the other films we've seen, so like the Shaheen films around, you know, people working the land and, and people owning the land. And the, um, was it the Turkish film we saw recently about you know, access to water and yes, that, remember, that kind yes, of thing. Yes. Very different film, different themes, but but similar in terms of that, as you say, social realism and depicting a, a way of life, but also combining it with great drama and great melodrama. And I think in terms of when it's set, as you say, it was made in 1939, and there's a caption at the start saying, this reflects uh, employment practices and treatment of people, which was very common in years gone by, uh, and giving the imp impression we, we have to say this no longer happens. The system of employment that it concerns it's about these indentured workers on uh, plantations in the jungle went on until 1950 so that was still going on well, 11 years after the film was and, made and it continues now yeah uh, as modern slavery people who are coerced to sign on for something and then kind of never leave them you hear these stories in shrimp boats in the pacific you hear it in uh, employment practices in the middle east you hear it here. It's a concern that the film very well dramatizes. In fact, the way that it's dramatized reminded me a little bit of pirate movies, yeah, where you get the people drunk and before they know it, like they've put their X 
onto you know working for three years for no wages right <laughs> yeah they, at the start when they're, they're kind of recruiting people almost, almost press ganging people yeah they're, press they're ganging saying, well, is the word yeah they are press ganging. they're saying well, well, well we'll give you you know a hundred dollars or whatever the currency is but what they give the guy is you know a piece of paper that says here's a hundred whatevers that you can spend on the plantation so it's like not he's not being paid in money he can only use that money on the plantation and they don't say anything out loud but it's quite clear that that's what's what's happening it's not you know they're not in a position to leave because they have no no real money i couldn't tell whether what they refer to as mensu are an indigenous people or a type of worker it's a type of worker so it's mensu as in monthly they're indentured workers they sign up and they're committed for a fixed period of time mm. and they're not able to leave it's a whole term for how those workers work and how they're treated and, and yeah. so on. But I think there's more to it, actually. Mensu probably comes from monthly, but there's also a sense that these people who are Mensu are also indigenous people or people of the earth because, you know, they uh, have a different experience of the weather and the land and, you know, they're from there. And The Mensu are at some points using bits of indigenous language. So that's an interesting intersection, at least. I thought the whole of the beginning of the film was so beautiful. Yeah, because, you know, you have kind of the loading of the ships and, you know, the, the heading towards the ship. And there's like a kind of a whole way of life that is depicted, yeah, in those shots. The film is set in 1915. It's shot only 20 years later, right? And so you get the sense that this way of life is still very much within uh, living memory. I understand from the Wikipedia uh, entry that the film was also supported by a left-wing organization called Fuerza de Orientación Radical de la Joven Argentina. So the radical force of young Argentina. There's a politics behind the film, and obviously it's a politics to unearth exploitation, yeah, to underline, unearth, reveal, kind of challenge, yeah, these oppressive uh, working practices. And I think that the film has a really interesting kind of sense of place. So it's kind of clearly about Argentina, addressed to Argentina, but in which it creates a kind of a sense of conflict or binary between the gringos, who are German in this case, yeah, and the indigenous people. So it really has a sense of, you know, the land and the people being exploited by external forces. And these external forces are people who are themselves victims in a way because, you know, they keep dreaming of their own homeland, right? Corner, the villain, is constantly playing like his classical music that reminds him of home. The uh, alcoholic doctor, who, you know, is clearly also German, is fearful that he's so drunk now and so ill that he'll never go back home, yeah? But home for them is elsewhere, yeah? Which I think is yeah. a very interesting thing in the film. Tell us a little bit about the, the melodramatic aspects of it. On top of the kind of political plot of exposing these working conditions, you get the, this story revolves around Kona, who you've mentioned, who's the, the, the German manager of the plantation and the overseer of all the workers then you you have this alcoholic doctor who has a daughter who's 
travelled with him to the plantation and Kona is in love with the girl but also one of the workers is in love with the girl and you, you then have this you know love triangle between those three which kind of leads to you know that worker being treated far more harshly than, than the other workers as, as, as a result you, know, you get these extraordinary scenes where on the boat where he's you know tied tied to the mast and the daughter tries to give him water and this then leads towards the end of the film to a, an amazing sequence of extreme violence where the the worker attacks the the overseer I don't really want to spoil what happens after that because it's really quite shocking I think to we, the various characters. I think we can discuss them. It's a very old do, okay, film. Well, if, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to be watching this film, go away and watch it. Yeah. And spoilers ahead, tell you the ending. but spoilers yeah. are... So the worker gets hold of the overseer's whip and in this really, really lengthy sequence beats him to death with the whip. And it's a, a sequence that goes on for really quite a long time. It's the I mean, unfurling really of get, rage, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It reminded me of that comment in the Fassbinder film we were watching last week about, you know, you, you want the film to show how difficult it is to murder somebody because <laughs> he doesn't just whip him a couple of times and he dies. He he sort of chases him, whips him for over and over and over again. But you then, obviously he's then being hunted as, as a result of that and he goes into hiding. But then the doctor who's got, um, you know, D- the DTs, he's getting progressively worse. He's drunk, he's, he's hallucinating wakes up and sees a figure in his bedroom and beats this figure to death with the stick that he's been showing everyone throughout the film. And of course, it's the daughter. Um, he just didn't recognise the daughter because of his, his delusions. And it's a really shocking scene. And the, the, the sound of the stick hitting the body is really, you know, really harsh. It's, it's, it's an amazing <laughs> ending. <laughs> Two things I want to add to that. When Podley whips Conor almost to death, it's not clear whether he beats him to death, but certainly he puts the flayed body on a raft, yeah, and then lets him being swallowed by the river and the land, yeah. right? Which is kind of like a, a, you know, symbolically very powerful, yeah, this, this foreigner goes to this strange land, exploits workers only for him then to be absorbed into, into the land. It's a very powerful sequence. But also symbolically, I think, very, very powerful. Um, likewise, when the father mistakes the daughter for a snake. Everyone in the film is afraid of snakes. Yeah, kind of the whole place is overrun by deadly snakes. Yeah, yet what kills people more than the snakes are diphtheria, yeah, and tuberculosis and things that can be treated but aren't really because the doctor is such a drunk. So the doctor ends up killing or the thing he loves the most, his daughter, thus depriving himself of love and the future, whilst also depriving Podlay of love and the future. Yeah. So he basically allows himself to be killed Yeah. after uh, this peasant uprising. It's kind of um, incredibly melodramatic, very moving, and also, I think, politically potent. Yeah, that it ha- yeah. has that politics behind it. You know, uh, uh, as well. Um, so I thought it was a really, you know, uh, great film. Yeah, it's a, a discovery. And as you say, that threat of infection is there throughout the film, and, and it's sort of at the beginning you're told that the reason why they're employing these sort of have many hundred new mensu is be, is to replace 
a bunch who have died. Yeah. Um, they don't really care these guys have died. It's like, oh, they're dead. Let's get some new ones. Three of them become ill on the boat. You see the scene of the doctor mixing medicines and he's just his hands are shaking and he can't read and, and he just gives them this stuff that immediately kills them. They're under threat of infection and their only chance of surviving an infection is this doctor who is drunk and, and useless. There's a very good post about it on the Criterion website. This threat of infection was for real. Originally, the star was going to be Jose Gola, who was one of Argentina's biggest male film stars. And he brought he brought the script to the director. The director and the, the star went on a trip to scout locations in the jungle. Um, and on one of these trips, the star contracted an infection that forced him to return to Buenos Aires, where he died at the age of 35. Oh my God. So, so basically, the location scouting killed the, the original star. And then it says, without Gola's star power and unable to convince Delia Garces, his original choice of female lead to film there. I'm not, I'm not surprised. You know, if you're the female lead and you hear that the male lead has died on the uh-huh. location, show, you're not going to go there. So he then cast these two, two sort of relative unknowns. But, but yeah, it, it does show that, you know, it's not just that it was dangerous for the workers portrayed in the film to work there. It was making the film there was pretty risky too. Mm. So. I think what was most vivid for me about watching the film was the, the kind of the frank way that it depicts the exploitation, right? So basically, the overseer is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. This man who hasn't spent any money on that canteen yeah, is all of a sudden accused of being in deficit for $500 and has no say, right? So they don't have to prove anything. They just have to say that you owe us money and kind of therefore suffer the consequences. The expectation that these people are ignorant and uneducated and thus kind of ripe for all kinds of exploitation that they have no say and that you're allowed to kill them is Mm. really brutally and vividly kind of dramatized uh, in a way that is is very, very interesting indeed. I think the the other thing you don't know is who who is controlling Kona. You know, presumably there's a layer of owners of these plantations above him who are you know driving him to you know you must deliver at a certain rate you must keep up production and so he's he's having to drive the men to do this which doesn't excuse what he does but because he's having to live in this awful place too so presumably there's someone controlling that you know there's, there's, there's some level of exploitation possibly back in germany i don't know yeah i mean i think that's interesting because again i don't know if it's symbolic or if it's real but the real also becoming symbolic in the sense that the plantation is a plantation for mate, yeah, which is like the, the, the national drink of Uruguay and Argentina. Yeah? That's kind of when you travel through Argentina and Uruguay, as I have done, <laughs> you'll see people yeah, with these little jars sipping through a straw, this kind of green tea that revives and is a tonic. Right? So the whole plantation is for that green tea which is, you know, the national drink. And yet the farming and the exploitation of it is all seen to be external, right? Yeah, so this combination of like the nation and external forces that control that is also kind of something that at least the film puts into play as a kind of a tension in it within this drama of how it affects individuals. Yeah, both... um, 
indigenous, foreign, and Chinita herself, yeah, who is a mixture of both, yeah? She keeps mm. telling us that her mother was also a Mensu, yeah? Yeah. Even though yeah. her father was a foreigner. So I think kind of, you know, those things are really nicely structured in the film. In a film that is actually very visually beautiful, I think. It's kind of very interesting to watch. It's very expert, the way that, you know, things are framed. And then also vividly melodramatic in a way that is that is quite moving. This mix of kind of documentary-style stuff and the melodrama is handled really well. Yeah. Can you say anything about the restoration? The restoration looks very good. Apparently the negative is missing, I think. But they... they based it on on two two surviving prints um and yeah it looks it looks looks really good and it sounds really good so um there is i think a before and after video on on the on the website but i I have not watched that that is one of the constantly surprising things and you know which makes what the scorsese foundation is doing so laudable because ostensibly this is a film that was you know very regularly voted the best film in the whole history of argentine cinema and there wasn't a single good copy available to see, right? So how could this greatest film of all time, you know, not be better looked after by the nation which co- continuously voted the best film in its history? And in fact, kind of this restoration had to be made from two existing 35 millimeter prints, one of the Cinémathèque Française and the other one in Prague, I believe. A thank you, I suppose, to the Scorsese Foundation, and really, kind of shame on Argentina for not looking after its <laughs> cultural heritage better. Uh, mm. But also th- thanks to George Lucas. Most of these Scorsese World Cinema things that we've seen, the restoration's either been funded by George Lucas or it's been funded by Olivia Harrison, as in George Harrison's widow. So you know, both of them have found really good ways of spending their millions, and you know, obviously we thank them very much. Well, thanks very much to both of them because you know the results uh, are worth it. Yeah, and as you say, it, ma- it makes a huge difference watching these films in this kind of copy. I mean, it's, it's like when we went through that process of going through all the Shaheen films. The difference between talking about a film where we had access to a decent restoration um, and talking about a film where we could just find some crappy copy on YouTube or whatever was so different. Oh, it's like and it's not day. that one film was better than the other. It's just that you yeah. you were able to actually watch it as a film and not, not make allowances for... I mean, I think people need to be more attentive, attentive to these elements. I mean, if film is visuals and images, if you have a, a different visual, you're having a different response and a different understanding. It's just as, as simple as that. I mean, I find... You know, when friends say, oh, I saw this on YouTube and you realize they've seen a blur of vision, barely visible copy of it, that really all they're telling you about is the plot. They understand the basic plot. Yeah. But a film is much, much more than plot, right? The lighting and the music, the gradations of light and what you can see alters entirely kind of your experience and understanding of what you see. So I think these restorations are absolutely crucial. Uh, and it's a delight to be able to see it uh, in this way. Yeah, yeah. Is there a last thing you want to add? Really worth seeing. Obviously, you've missed your chance to see it for free online. It is available on Blu-ray from Criterion as well. And we highly recommend it. So thank you very much for listening. We are thinking aloud about film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And we'll return soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.